Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Elaborate Topics Podcast. I'm Lona Small, your laboratory coach and consultant, and I'm so excited about today's episode. We are a weekly podcast where myself and my co-host, Taiwana Wilson and Stephanie Whitehead and our guests bring you topics and tools to help you to excel in your leadership and laboratory journey. And today we have an amazing guest, so you can always tune in subscribe you go on directimpactbroadcasting.com or any of your favorite podcast platform and subscribe and share this out with your friends and today we're going to have such an excited episode that i know you're going to need to share it out with as many medical lab professionals as possible and i said we had a special guest so our special guest is dr lasancha bryce Dr. Lashanta, welcome. Hello. All right, I'm going to go in and give a little bio on Dr. Lashanta, and then we'll go in and she's going to talk about a topic that I, I know that's going to be very intriguing, a topic that not many people talk about, but a very important topic. So um, Dr. Les Chanter Bryce graduated from the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston in December 2021 with her doctorate in clinical lab sciences. She received her Master of Science in Medical Lab Science from the University of Southern Mississippi in 2014 and her Bachelor of Science in Clinical Lab Science from Virginia Commonwealth University Medical College of Virginia in 2008. Dr. Bryce specializes in hematology and coagulation with 15 years of bench experience, management experience, process development, quality and compliance, and teaching experience. Her most recent position was a hematology and flow cytometry supervisor at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. She currently serves as Diagnostica Stago Scientific Engagement and Clinical Education Associate, as well as Medical Laboratory Science Adjunct Faculty at University of Cincinnati. In her spare time, she enjoys spending time with her family and designing happy planner layouts. Welcome, Dr. Lashanta. Thank you for that introduction. I am happy to meet everybody virtually. Awesome. And I'm going to introduce our topic before we go in. We're going to talk about bridging the gap, the vital role of lab professionals in translational research. And I know maybe for some people like, what is that? Medical lab scientists contributing to research. And no, Dr. Lashenta is very passionate about it. So she'll break it down. She'll tell you all about it. And you can see how we're really vital as medical lab professional in that role. 
But before we go into it, we just want to talk to Dr. Bryce about her experience as a medical lab scientist because she started there. And so I'm gonna ask, were some of the challenges you experienced transitioning from the medical lab scientist in the lab into this scientific role that you now possess? So one of the things that was a challenge for me uh, was actually networking because I was in such a unique environment with military medicine. Almost all of my networking was within the military medicine community. But now transitioning into a more scientific affairs in a marketing department, those military connects were certainly helpful, but then I needed to transition myself into the broader world outside of the Department of Defense. So that was a a slight hurdle I had to hop over. And then there was also the the immediate transitioning between Lashanta to Dr. Bryce. Um, Oftentimes I chuckle with my uh, clinical colleagues from my past that demand that I call them by their first name. And it's very awkward for me. I'm like, nope. If I originally started calling you like Dr. Smart, it's permanently Dr. Smart. It's never going to be, I'm not going to feel comfortable going to your first name. It's just something I don't know that I'll ever overcome. But I think the thing that helped me with the transition from the laboratory scientist onto the kind of practitioner level was really what I did in residency. So I had some interactions with clinical colleagues when I was a bone marrow cyst tech, but really the skills I gained from pathology, anapartum, cardiology, and internal medicine are really what got me to be able to talk to clinical colleagues. Um, And when I say clinical colleagues, we're talking from nursing to pharmacy to our traditional physicians and now to even include the mid-levels such as the DCLSs, nurse practitioners, and pathology physician assistants, but I think they're going by a different name now, so I don't want to mess that up. But it's definitely a a physician assistant has now a new name, but them too. Wow. I can really see that big shift. And a lot of us, especially who are on the bench, we are so focused on getting the work done. We know our roles in the lab, we get our work done, but I hear you talking a lot about interacting outside of our discipline, that interdisciplinary connection. It seems as if that is very vital, especially when you're moving into roles where you're gonna show the impact of the lab when it comes to the bigger picture of diagnostic medicine. And so you're saying to me that it was really a big difference, a big transition when you, even though you may be networking among your peers, among people in the military, it was a big change to start going out outside and interacting and working together. Yes. Uh, One of the things that happened with that transition was the ability to see the laboratory from both sides. So oftentimes there was a short time where I was still transitioning into a supervisor role and it was right after I graduated. And there was a time when I had came out of my office and one of my staff members was, was getting yelled at on the phone. I could hear the practitioner through the phone. And I walked over to the coagulation bench and I asked them to hand me the phone. And at this point I had a decision to make. I could get on the phone and say, good evening, this is LaShanta, how can I help you? Or 
we could try something different. We could say, good evening, this is Dr. Bryce. So I, I decided to go with number two and the tone immediately changed, which was shocking because I think if I had said LaShanta, I, I probably would have continued to hear some of the yelling, but just that the recognition that I was now a practitioner really calmed the person down on the phone. And that's maybe a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. I should have been able to introduce myself as LaShanta and as the hematology flow cytometry supervisor. And that should have been enough for that practitioner to trust my skill level. And I really encourage laboratory professionals to stand up um, and explain why things go a certain way to practitioners. Oftentimes we have to take into consideration, we don't know what's on the other side of the phone. And it goes the same way the other way. They don't know what's on the other side of the phone for them either. For, for From their perspective, they think that everything is kosher in the laboratory and that we are super duper calm individuals. And in reality, that's not always the case. There may be a bunch of things going on in the background that they simply just can't hear, but it's still our responsibility to display that professionalism so that our patients can be taken care of by both uh, practitioners. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. That whole professionalism as medical lab professionals. I was part of a discussion on LinkedIn. The same thing about we are the bottom of the totem pole. And a lot of times we are really upset about that. But what are we doing in terms of standing up like the way you're standing up? Do we show that we believe otherwise? Or are we going into meetings and say, I'm not going to say a thing because they see us at the bottom of the totem pole, or I'm not going to do that. Oh, we're not never going to get anything because we're at the bottom. Are we behaving in a way as if we're at the bottom or are we behaving in a way where we're working together in partnership? So when you pick up the phone and say, I'm in the lab, I'm just a professional, just like you. And I don't want to be treated otherwise. So I had a, a little poster that I would give away. I think it was five ways to show that I believe that I'm not at the bottom of the totem pole. And it's like a free gift that they'll get when they get on my website, because we have to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk to really say, do I really believe it in my action that I'm not at the bottom of the totem pole? And really the laboratory really shouldn't think, the laboratory professionals and the laboratory itself, right? Shouldn't think that you are the bottom of anything. If, if you think that, you need to change your mindset into thinking that you are the, the connector between everything that happens to a patient. It's very few clinical disease states or syndromes where a practitioner can look at you and automatically diagnose you. Laboratory tests most of the time are needed to either make a clinical decision or be impactful for a clinical decision. And you as a laboratory professional are the guiding light for those practitioners. We are not the bottom of the pole. We're actually probably the lighthouse in the sea. Awesome, I love that. And I know that's why you're here today to talk about the really relevant role that medical lab professionals can play when it comes to research. And so you're gonna talk a lot about translational science. 
And I went up and I did a little research and this is what I found. But based on what I see, translational science focusing on turning discoveries into the real world application that improve health. So for medical lab science, it means it's bridging the gap between the theoretical research and the practical needs of the patient. So for our, us in the lab, translational science allow the lab scientists to advance healthcare by directly shaping how research insights are implemented in clinical practice. So they're looking at the practical aspect of a lot of the research that we can relate to that a lot of people may never be able to relate to, that we know a lot of things that happen on a day-to-day -day and we can put that practical part into the full research. Hopefully I'm somewhere close. So now Lashendo, clean that up and then we'll go into asking questions about your passion when it comes to translational science. So there's not very much to contribute to your definition. That is exactly what translational science is for the laboratory professional. Oftentimes you'll hear it referred to as implementation science. And it's something that we as the medical laboratory professionals can grow. Oftentimes there's these little incidences that happen in the lab. And sometimes your IVD partners can help you um, if it's a, a medical device. But there are oftentimes when you're going to be doing some of your laboratory testing and it's actually not a medical device. It may be a methodology. And then you try to go and look into these little issues that you have and then you don't find anything in research. You know why that is? It's because we don't practice a lot of translational science and we don't publish a lot of it. And I think that's something that we can improve upon as a field. Because when we start publishing uh, the translational part, it directly feeds into the circle of science itself. So when we look at research forms, the foundation of translational science, but then changes that we make as laboratory professionals in translational science can feed back into the feedback loop and give us some more basic research to look into. So it's all kind of a circle of life when we think about it, but it's really important that translational science or implementation science continues to advance within medical laboratory science. Awesome. So let's go into some um, questions about that. Tell us a little bit about the, the difference between that clinical research versus translational research when you're thinking of the medical lab science scientists or any medical lab professional, what's that difference there with this translational science and the clinical research that's happening? So when we look just at the base definition of clinical research, it primarily focuses on studying patients, but it may also focus on human populations. And its true purpose is to really understand the disease, offer treatment options, and then study their outcomes. But the difference is they don't actually go into the implementation of it. They give you ideas of things to do. Some of these things may be known as clinical trials or observational trials with some epidemiology uh, studies mixed in as well. With a translational science, we're now going to take some of those understandings and treatment options and then actually put them into practice. 
so that we can actually monitor the outcomes. So when we look at things like mortality outcomes, length of stay, that's more towards translational or implementation science. And those are equally as, as important because we certainly don't want you to just take a whiteboard and then list a bunch of ideas and then they never actually get practiced. Now, the purpose of practicing these, we know that when we practice something, it's not perfect, right? There are often times when you take an idea and you put it into practice and then we find out that is not a practical idea. And when we find out it's not a practical idea, we don't necessarily throw the idea out. We replace it back into the research, the clinical research side, and then take another idea to try back into translational research. When we look at what the medical laboratory professional's role is, they actually can participate on both sides, but it's really going to depend on what they want to do on both sides. In clinical research, you may be uh, lacking some of the things that you may want to do. So in clinical research, you may play a role in sample collection, analysis, and interpretation of patient data but you actually don't do any practicing of that data. It may just go straight to publication to see if it can be replicated. In translational uh, science, you may be able to work on some validation of the technique. Um, you may be able to model some of the techniques that you're doing and then place them into practice so that they can be used and applied to a patient population. Um, for example, an ex one example may be when you are looking at development of an ELISA assay. There's certain the, the clinical research side of development of the ELISA assay where you're testing antibodies, testing different uh, methodologies, but you don't actually take any application to apply it and get a clinical outcome. On the translational side, once the application has been cleaned up and actually can be used within a timely manner, then you can use it to get an outcome and apply it to a clinical outcome. So a big one would be like something like heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. If you find a, a new epitope, right, in the clinical research side, that may be fantastic. But if it takes you four hours to actually perform the assay and get it washed and it's not automated, that may not make it a translational item. The flip side of that is if you find an epitope and it takes you like 30 minutes to run the assay, then that might... Uh, launch it into the translational side into a patient population treatment and diagnosis scenario much faster. Awesome. So basically with tra translational science with the medical lab professionals are actually putting things into practice and they're helping moving forward these research. Whereas in research, if they're not putting it into practice, a lot of times we're either missing out on things or we may have people who don't understand the practice trying to replicate something that's not in a, in a normal environment, a normal laboratory environment. So they may set things up and they're doing their research, but not moving over to that application in which we would do on a normal basis. So that's how the medical lab professional will come in with that application piece to support the research. Am I understanding it correctly? Yes. Yeah, so the medical laboratory professional can contribute to the clinical research side by offering them advice on how to make something practical. So mm -hmm. time may look different for different uh, disciplines within medical laboratory science. For example, the core laboratory wants things very quickly. Other sections that are usually esoteric, so things like uh, reference chemistry, mass spec, or flow cytometry, 
those are not as stacked as our core lab assays. So you can take your time in clinical research with other disciplines. Whereas if you're looking to bring something into clinical practice that's usually associated with a core lab or a stat lab, the timing is going to become much more important than it does in some of the esoteric sections. Awesome. So that's the piece that the scientists will detect to say, okay, this is a great research. However, it would be more practical to have the timing. It would not work into the in the real world if it's four hours long. So that's basically what you're saying mm -hmm. versus 30 minutes, this would be more practical. So having that wisdom of a medical lab scientist based on the needs of the real world, they can support it that way. So I suppose that could run into my next question. So how could the medical lab professionals step into a role as a translational scientist with publication in mind? because a lot of times we may be on the other side, but we never got involved in the research and publication. So how, for people listening, how could we get more involved in research and publication using translational science? So networking is super important. So that's why one of the things I mentioned was I struggled with that because I had such a, a small network, but when I first started looking into what I was doing and questioning what I was doing, that led me to form a relationship with our pathology residents who a lot of times look to do publications either by request of their seniors or it's a part of their program academic wise. So in that formation of the relationship, I was able to take some steps to become involved in a flow cytometry project. So at the time I was not on track to become the flow cytometry or hematology supervisor. I was just a lead and that sounds just a lead at that time seems a big gap to where I am today. But when that ask came of me to provide the hematology information, I got to sit with the pathology residents and the, the hema, hematopathologists to look at the data sets from both hematology and flow cytometry. And that's why I started to learn how to interpret both sets of data. Now that would prove very useful for me later on when I began to apply for the hematology and flow cytometry supervisor. But the easiest way for people to be involved is to start to form connections with non-like individuals. Non-like meaning like step outside of your section. Uh, there were times where I needed assistance in microbiology. For those that have seen my credentials, you see a bunch of letters after my name and one of them is an SH. I have worked only in hematology discipline, obviously internal medicine, cardiology, and antepartum do not only focus on hematology. <laughs> when I needed that help, I simply went across the way to microbiology and started having conversations with their leads. And then eventually started talking to their supervisor who then invited me to plate rounds so that I could learn what our infectious disease doctors were doing. And then I got to go travel on rounds with infectious disease docs and got to learn about different projects. Now, no offense to our micro colleagues, that was something that I discovered and something that is a good piece of advice. You have to learn what you're interested in. And plate rounds taught me that I am not interested <laughs> in microbiology, at least those that involve plates. The other piece of advice would be to select skills that you want to advance. So if you're really interested in blood typing and antigen typing, 
or you're really interested in sickle cell, there are lots of different ways that you can find a way to get in with doing some aspect of either clinical research or translational research. Um, with sickle cell, you may find a different avenue. There are patient advocate groups that can definitely benefit from medical laboratory professional knowledge. Um, quite mm, a little bit ago, I did a um, podcast and video series for the National Blood Clotting Alliance for their patient education program. And one of the things I did is I used a light blue shirt to wear to the podcast because I was going to be on video to show patients what color tube they should be looking for when they're getting phlebotomy done for this test. And the topic that I was speaking on was the laboratory's role in antiphospholipid syndrome and what a patient should know about what goes on behind the scenes. So some of the things about questioning, why does it take so long to perform antiphospholipid testing? I'm like, did you know that the tests aren't performed in one section of the laboratory? They're actually performed in at least two, if not three different sections. So your physician or your practitioner has to wait until all of those results are back before making any type of clinical decision. And there are actually guidelines that direct some of that information for your practitioners, but patients were not aware. They were just left in the dark. So I think that's another area where you look at translational science, you may be able to have opportunities to speak as a laboratory advocate to patients to get some translational information across to them as well. Awesome. There are all these opportunities and we tend to talk on this podcast about all these different roles that are available. But I find this very interesting because I know for a lot of people, they really love the lab. And we, we talk about a lot of areas in which people can move into. A lot of them may be a little different, but for people who really love lab and love the technical and the scientific part of it, I think this would be a really great podcast for them to listen to the potential roles that they can play moving up into that technical field. And I love even maybe as a patient advocate working even in the hospital and relating science the science of the lab and, and trying to interpret the different results that they get, that is awesome. But even working with different providers and just providing our um, perspective in terms or application is important. So I love that with those potential roles that you um, gave. So now for you, I know you talk a little bit about the challenges and so on. So you can probably use some of your experiences to help others to understand. So how do you bridge the gap between the PhD clinical research? You're deep into understanding what we do, but then you have people who are the PhD that are more in the clinical research that are not so involved into in the medical lab science. So how do you bridge that gap between those PhD research people and the medical lab science professional and know you're there trying to balance that act? So tell us about it. So it's all about communication. And um, it turns out that everybody has some unique form of communication. And it's really important that in your communications with other 
PhDs, other practitioners, that you figure out where that communication style lies. So one of the first things that occurred when I transitioned into my scientific affairs uh, position was our new team members uh, alongside our current team members were given a kind of communication style quiz. And it turns out that it was a little bit of a, a known that our, our marketing friends that are customer facing are very much extroverts. They like talking to people. They're the type of people that in a conference will go up to people and start talking to them, introduce themselves first. And it turns out that our scientific friends are maybe mesovert. So maybe they float between introvert and extrovert, but they're probably really close to just introvert. So with that style of communication with an introvert, it's really important that you keep open lines of communication and that you're very honest and tactful, honest and tactful about your viewpoints when we talk about clinical research, basic science versus translational science or implementation science. Simply saying that this doesn't work in walking away from a project is not proper communication. You will need to explain why this doesn't work. And you may oftentimes have to reply on some of your other colleagues to um, support and or maybe not support your viewpoint. Remember that um, your experience isn't representative of the total population of experience. So just because Dr. Bryce says something doesn't work, doesn't mean it won't work in your laboratory. It just may not work for your specific situation. So it's really important when you think about translating something from clinical research that you take into account the environments that it's going into. So a lot of times for me, I've worked primarily in trauma one centers. And I take that experience that I had when I worked in a small ER laboratory to heart because I had to do everything. I worked in chemistry. I released blood products. I ran a bunch of COVID tests and RSVs and streps and a UA analyzer and a coag analyzer. And it was a lot of ands. So then I, when I look at taking information from different disciplines, does this work for a small access hospital? And if it does, can I translate it and make it applicable to a trauma one center? Can I do something in the middle? Or do I need to modify each piece of my translational research? And that all has to be communicated to the basic research or the clinical research person, because for them, their world consists of their R&D space. So that's what their world looks like. And you have to be able to accurately explain what the rest of the world may look like when they take their information to the outside of the R&D area. Or for those that are listening, sorry, this is a lot of acronyms. R&D is research and development. So that is a laboratory space, but that laboratory usually deals with the, the vacuum of everything that the medical laboratory scientists has to deal with has been eliminated. So there's no phone calls, there's no instrument beeping, there's no coworker pulling you to another bench. So when they practice this, it looks very clean, but then you as the translational scientist have to say, okay, but is this still very clean when all these other pieces of information are being thrown at this person at the same time? Awesome. So you're putting context to a lot of the work for the R&D people 
And when I say PhDs, they could probably come from the lab or you may not have a medical lab background, but for someone with a medical lab background and the translational piece, you're putting that context and you're partnering to complete this whole puzzle. So you both have to work in partnership. You're understanding their side and they're understanding your application piece. So that translational application piece is so important. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. I haven't been there, so I never thought about some of the challenges at that point. And now I'm seeing how important you are in bridging the gap. I never realized that there was such a big gap that needed to be filled. And I think you're filling that shoe. And I really want to thank you. Just listening to you just made me realize how important your role is coming from the lab, understanding all that context and moving into that role. You are really making a major difference. And I just want to thank you in the middle of this podcast. Thank you. I want to also stress that it's a partnership. There are going to be times where the seesaw goes up for the translational scientists. And then there's times when the seesaw is going to go down. So you have to learn to balance when you're up in the middle and when you're down. There's going to be a lot of times where there's some things that are out of your control, but like we talked about when inside the laboratory, the professionalism between the two doctorates still applies and it's really based in communication and respect. You want to make sure that you can communicate your needs in a safe space, um, as well as that the, your colleagues should be able to communicate in a safe space as well. And you both have to try to understand each other without necessarily having walked in their shoes because you have a common thread. You're just taking two different pathways to get there. Awesome. And then you're coming together. (laughs) You need, it's not like you're going two different way, but you're meeting somewhere in the middle. And then you're saying to me, you don't have to get that far to even contribute, even on the bench we can contribute or um, when it comes to application, we can contribute to that big picture. Yes, and I, you can definitely do that now as a laboratory professional. When we look at hospital committees, you don't have to be the supervisor, you don't have to be a lead. You just have to be able to articulate what the laboratory's role is in that committee. So when we think about stewardship, those are excellent roles to really practice translational science because you don't think of it like that. You think that what you do in the laboratory is what you do, but everyone else that makes decisions at the hospital level doesn't necessarily know what impact some of their policies has on the laboratory. So we look at things like antimicrobial stewardship, or we look at hospital stewardship, laboratory stewardship, different discipline stewardship, those are all roles that can really help you bridge the gap between the practitioner and the laboratory as a translational scientist. Awesome. Never looked at it that way. As much as I've been on so many committees and contributing in that way, now I see myself as a translational scientist. I'm on the the, um, sepsis committee, I'm on the stroke committee, and I'm contributing our perspective to some of the changes and the the research that they're doing. 
Thank you for bringing that out and bringing it to our audience so that a lot of our medical lab professionals can see that there's that's a valid, really valuable role that they can play to the big picture. And I'm going to jump into you. Um, I'm going to ask you what advice, based on what we're saying, or call to action do you have for medical lab professionals wanting to get more involved in research and publication, knowing their the, the context that they have from the lab perspective? As I said before, you have to select a research topic that aligns with your current interest and is relevant with the current trends and challenges in your laboratory. So there are lots of current trends and challenges in the laboratory across multiple disciplines. But one of the things that we don't delve into in our first early years of education is what professional societies we align with. And oftentimes we look at our traditional laboratory societies as our societies of choice. But outside of that, you have discipline specific ones that can help you shape your research topic. So when we look at things like microbiology, you have the American Society of Microbiology. For hematology, you have the ISLH, International Society for Laboratory Hematology, and the ISCH, that is the standards committee that puts out international standards for hematology. Uh, for chemistry, we have the associations Association for Diagnostic Laboratory Medicine, formerly known as AACC, has now started to bridge its gaps between the other areas of laboratory medicine. Blood bank has AB, ASHI. So there's multiple uh, scientific societies that you can look at getting involved in that will offer you the opportunity to network with some of your clinical uh, research colleagues as well as other laboratory professionals. You can also seek out opportunities with patient advocacy groups um, that may have some opportunities to let you be able to speak on a platform. You can also familiarize yourself with some funding opportunities through those scientific societies as well. NIH is, of course, our biggest one, but there are other societies that offer funding and sometimes they offer residency opportunities for researchers to focus in on a clinical disease state or a topic. Um, they also are also reaching out for laboratory professionals to help them manage some of the things that they themselves are not aware of how to manage. So a lot of times they'll reach out for lab management advice and they're looking for laboratory practicing laboratory professionals um, to speak about their experiences and what they can take away from managing a laboratory. Now, mind you, it's not a traditional clinical laboratory, but they themselves recognize that they need the skills and some of the assets that the, the traditional medical laboratory professional has, but they themselves lack. One other thing that you can do is simply just talk with your medical director or your laboratory director. They may be able to, they may be able to act as a bridge, as a networking bridge for you as well. Um, to hook you up with not only your pathology colleagues, but those outside the pathology suite. So there are a lot of times I got to work with trauma physicians, some cardio cardiologists, and even OBGYN. So there's lots and lots of opportunities. You just have to use your resources wisely. Thank you so much. I'm just so grateful to you. I'm really grateful 
for opening up this door because as I say, we talk a lot about so many roles, but we have never had a guest on our show that really open up all these technical roles because it's a lot of people are like, okay, I've done the technical work. I am now at the the, the um, ceiling, so now I'm going to move out into other things. But there's still so much that you can do in moving up in your profession, still in that technical area of the lab. And I'm really grateful that you you came to talk about this and talk about all these different options that's available for people who are really passionate about the technical role that maybe at some point they get bored with what they're doing that routine monotonous stuff but they love the lab and so this is a great opportunity and i'd really want the um, guests to continue either to reach out to you to follow you to learn more from you tell us how could our listeners stay connected with you to learn more from you and even ask questions of you? So the the most active that I have been on is probably LinkedIn. So you'll just search for my name. I'm, I have a pretty unique name, so there's not very many Lashantas roaming around. <laughs> but outside of LinkedIn, I do have Instagram. So my Instagram handle is underscore L-A-B underscore S-H-A-U-N-E. So that would be pronounced So Lab Sean, a spoof on So Long Sean. <laughs> Sean was my nickname when I was working at the hospital. It was a nickname given to me because there was another, one of my best friends, her name is Latasha. And there was a lot of confusion between the two of us. And since I was the younger of the two, my name got changed. My family does this as well. We, a lot of us are named La and the first name or Ta. So we end up getting that first syllable chopped off. So we become Shanta or the missing part of our name. So that's how we got that name. And then I can also be contacted uh, via email. So my email is super long because my first name is super long. So it's L-A-S-H-A-N-T-A dot B-R-I-C-E at U-S dot S-T-A-G-O dot C-O-M. So those are the three ways you can contact me. And I always take questions. I am a, I probably think that my soul is just a medical laboratory scientist with a sprinkle of educator uh, experience in it. So I think I'm a, an educator at heart. Awesome. 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 And we'll put all of that information in the show notes. So if anyone get on to any of the um, podcast platform, we'll have a show note with that all that information. Lashanta Bryce, Dr. Bryce, it was such a pleasure having this interview, having this chat with you. We've been chatting for a while for how, what is it, two to three years? I don't yes. know. <laughs> just after, I think it was before your DCLS or just after or thereabouts. I, I think it was just after because I had joined one of the podcasts and then later on, I think we finally got to meet in person and then we've been chatting ever since then. So it's been a great pleasure. And again, I really hope that this reaches the ears of people and encourages them to contribute to the advancement of our field and the advancement of science itself. Because remember, we are scientists. It's 
it doesn't matter what you're, I know everybody like, is it is all about the letters, but we're scientists at heart. Your soul is a scientist. So you get to participate in science in the laboratory. You get to do it as a clinical research partner and as a translational scientist as well. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners for listening in and make sure you're sharing this episode out. And it was a pleasure um, just sharing with you and sharing Dr. Bryce with you. So thanks for listening. And you can listen to this and other episode on directimpactbroadcasting.com or any of your favorite podcast platform. We're now also on LabVine. So you can register on LabVine. You go into labvinelearning.com and you do that for free and you have access in VineStream to our um, podcast. And also we have a Facebook group and a LinkedIn group. Join our LinkedIn group for discussions about our um, podcast episodes. And also you can email us at elaborate topics at directimpactbroadcasting.com. If you have questions, if you try to reach out to Dr. Bryce and you're like, Somehow I'm not reaching her. Just send us a message, but I know you will because she's on LinkedIn. You can message her. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you can submit a guest request form when you go on the website. So thank you so much for listening. And until we talk again, have a great one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics, where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.